Welcome to the Why Hockey Draft Guide Podcast 2020. Tom Skrulikowski here. I'm going to walk you through my rankings, my thoughts on the draft. It is a little absurd, not to mention unusual, to be talking about draft in, in the fall. But considering everything else with this year, it's right on par. At this point, I wasn't even two-phased when they decided to move the draft up from Friday night, first round, Saturday rounds two through seven, to a midweek round one and during the day. And uh, I think it's Wednesday is, is all the other rounds. Uh, and then on Friday starts free agency. It was like, okay, whatever. Uh, obviously, they're going to lose some of the viewership on NHL network, or I don't know if there's, this is going to be on NBC or, or anything like that, but uh, they'll definitely lose some viewers. But at this point, I think what they would rather do is have a more normal experience. Having the draft be its own contained, isolated event, and then having free agency start after, you know, some time in between rather than the original plan, which was to have free agency and the draft kind of start congruently at the same time, uh, which given how one minded one tracked uh, NHL GM seemed to be around the league. It's probably better. They did this because who knows what would have happened. It probably would have been fun to see the chaos, but I think we'll still have enough chaos with uh, this compacted offseason that we will still be entertained. But there was a lot of of weird things uh, about this draft class. It's weird that there's prospects playing games right now, um, and it's weird that there's not going to be prospects walking to a stage. There's not going to be draft tables on the cement where the ice usually goes at some home rink for, I guess this year was supposed to be Vancouver or something or Montreal, Montreal, maybe, I don't know. Some Canadian team are supposed to care more about than we do. That's weird. There will be prospects that might not play in almost a full year. We're talking, you know, some of the CHL players, uh, whose junior seasons haven't restarted and they stopped or, you know, around March. Uh, that's a lot of development time uh, during one of the biggest transition years. I mean, this is their technically their draft plus one year right now um, where you see a, most of the growth you're going to see in usually in the general prospect development trajectory. So, there's a lot of things to juggle. There's a lot of context to put into decision making, uh, and there's less da- data. There's not, there wasn't playoffs for a lot of draft eligible seasons last year. There, there isn't a draft combine unless you were John Chica and the Coyotes, who were slapped pretty hard. <laughs> I wouldn't say on the wrist. I'd say on the back of the head uh, for that move. So I guess that's all all fair now um but there's you know that's weird that's different that's not normal so you're gonna see uh, a lot of teams either doing nothing to adjust and acting 
um, as if it's a normal year and, and hoping that works out or you're going to see teams really, I think, get into the moment and do weird things themselves. Uh, maybe Galaxy braining it or just leaning into whatever they think is a market inefficiency or or their strength and that could work out that could go badly all this probably helps my standings my rankings my personal biases already i lean heavily on skill level iq european players that already have pro experience uh, those same players that would be playing right now um, that are going to be getting more development and, you know, are at least slotted to get projected to be getting more development this year uh, and next year. So it was a little easier to lean into some of these biases and not second guess it. Another reason I'm confident in leaning in on these biases is I believe that while this is a average compared to recent drafts, which in my opinion is that's a good average that that that's good um that's not an insult or a slight to people to the prospects in this draft whether you know in the mid rounds or at the top end so while it is an average draft there's a lack of top end defenders really the dynamic uh do it all top end top pair defenders we've seen recently in drafts and we expect to see in 2021 uh with the top end possibly being four out of the top five defenders even all five and a lack of projectable NHL centers pivots all the way through the rounds. Like I said, that affects my opinion on the overall depth and skill level of this draft class. However, my rankings bump centers. Bump defenders, I think, have that dynamic skills. And I think leaning into those biases of valuing centers in D and to draft more, understanding that it will be vastly easier to find skilled and new age wingers uh, in any round, uh, in any draft slot than centers and defensemen. And by prioritizing that and leaning in on those prospects, you can walk away with the higher value picks in five, six years when these guys reach the NHL and reach the prime, you might walk away with the only top pair defenseman or the only or one of the only top line centers, first line centers. And that would back up and reinforce the process and the framework and thought behind these rankings. So we talked about the overall my overall thoughts on the draft class and That'll kind of be borne out more as we go through the different tiers down down the rankings. Uh, we talked about some of my biases uh, and, and my thoughts on this draft class and how I'd approach it as an NHL general manager. Uh, but as far as what I look for in a prospect, whether you're European or not, it's it's high IQ. It's being somebody that makes their teammates better, that plays well in a team system, uh, that has all five skaters on the ice in the picture is what they call it you know around the puck being an option being an outlet being a support valve uh, so that means they have to have good iq they have to skate well they have to process the game quickly they create offense without the puck uh, by getting it back by good defense um, 
by getting to soft open spots and, and being a good outlet for their teammates who have the puck, etc. There's obviously a compete, a grit, a toughness aspect to that and a work rate aspect to that. But it's more about the skill level, the creativity and the problem solving and the willingness to adapt and play within a team and a structure and a system. Um, but also having that skill to then do something when that structure breaks down and the game doesn't, you know, opens up. In the seventh round, sixth, fifth, round i'm still looking for those types of players i'm not trying to draft fifth or sixth defenders or fourth liners um you know it's somebody i want to fill out those bottom pairs those bottom lines those depth spots with prospects i drafted that didn't live up to potential or free agent signings or you know trade deadline additions to to kind of beef up for for a stanley cup run um, I'm not really looking for those guys. So if they don't really have that top six, that top four skill set, promise, IQ, uh, they're probably not going to be high on this list or even make the list. There's also a few prospects that aren't on this list that are ranked highly on other lists. Uh, the two that stand out are two defensemen in the CHL, Justin Barron and Jeremy Poirier. Um, they're just defenders that I don't think as highly of as the industry. And I know that if I was an NHL GM, by the time I'd be willing to draft them, uh, they would not be available. That That's probably true of some of these other prospects, but I think it's not just we're talking 20, 30. Maybe I have them around later. I'm talking I probably have them multiple rounds later and at that point there's no use putting it on the list just to create controversy or something like that so i just leave them off whatever last thing before we start going in and looking at the tiers and going you know thought by thought down that way and, and talking about the player profiles and stuff i put together in the draft guide um there's six tiers usually i break up lately lately i say i should say i've broken up defensemen and forwards uh, and, and in the draft guide kind of separated them out uh, because I think it's better to kind of compare the D to D and the forwards to forwards. Uh, I think best player available is a great tool to have in your drafting strategy, but it can't be the drafting strategy. I think there has to be a little more structure, a little more intent and motivation, but that's just kind of how I am. I think there needs to be a intent and a structure and a kind of model or whatever for anything you do. Um, so I, I do really think about best player available, but it would be best player available forward or D, you know, inside what your team needs. Or if you don't, if you have the luxury, like some of the deeper prospect pools uh, that just need high end talent is their need, regardless of position, then you can go to best player available. But I think there's definitely what you have seven rounds and usually seven, six, seven picks. Um, there should be some intent and some uh, positional awareness uh, in in those rounds and in some of those picks. Um, but I, I really think that this year it was important to, to get back on point, to put those forwards and D back in together, even with the goalies uh, at, in, the, in the tiers and slots. And I, and I do this for the main reason of showing – how I think 
uh, that top end of the defensive class, especially compared to recent defensive classes, isn't there. If we're comparing this to, you know, defensive classes in the 90s or early 2000s, even before the new age rules uh, really rippled through the youth hockey uh, world and, and had its effect on the type of prospects it was producing, um, you know, yeah, this draft class looked really favorable. Favorable, it's great. But when you really compare it to the draft classes we've seen uh, recently, um, and the draft class we expect in twenty twenty one for defenders, it, it's not. You can see that it is missing those top end guys, and we're not just talking one or two. We're talking four or five. I think defenders that would, it, you know, if you go back from two thousand sixteen. 15 17 18 19 uh and, and like, like i said 2021 20, there's going to be on average four or five defensemen that you would probably slot over drysdale and sanderson because it's not just oh they just don't have drysdale's you know power play and in zone uh capabilities or or skating or they just don't have you know sanderson skating and defensive capabilities but they have you know the full package uh they kind of do everything. We're talking Shabbat, Rowensky, Provorov, Heiskanen, Makar, Dahlin, Hughes, uh, even you know some guys like Sider, Broberg, Hanola, uh, Soderstrom, Bjornfoot, Har- you know Harley. Some of these guys, uh, Ty Smith, Noah Dobson. These are very, very good defensemen. Uh, in all three zones with and without the puck they rate rate highly in in you know iq they rate highly in skating they rate highly with their puck skills um they're pretty consistent and they do deep and they're good defensively and they you know have matriculated and are pushing to matriculate to the nhl a lot sooner than a lot of defensemen um, or at least we think of defensemen transitioning to the NHL. So boiling down, what's the difference? The difference is about eight minutes. It's the difference between a defenseman that you play 20 minutes a night and a defenseman that you play 26, 28, almost 30 minutes a night into the playoffs and down the stretch uh, when your team needs it. And I think that's the difference we're, we're missing. And when you look at, the, some of the forwards that are available, the the ease of transition of centers, uh, tr- you know, and and the less risk it has in drafting them, the fact that there's not that many centers that project to be a good first, uh, second line center option. I don't understand why you would step up to take a defenseman in the top fifteen uh, when some of these centers are available. Uh, or, and even some of these wingers. Um, and if you really think about it, the best defensive value at the top end of this draft might be the goalie because he can play 60 minutes a game. He can steal games. He can steal uh, series. Um, if it pans out for projects, he might have more of a defensive value than any defenseman in a draft could have. Uh, I know there's, that's riskier and everything, but he is the best goalie prospect in the last 30 years, at least at the time of the draft. So by blending the defensemen and forwards into the rankings together and just breaking it out tier by tier, I think it, it really shows 
shows that, shows where I think the defenders are that are worth jumping up in front of the forwards and what forwards those are. Uh, I think that was more important than breaking it out by position. Uh, so it's easier after the fact of the draft to compare the different defensemen inside tier of, you know, uh, well, they drafted this defenseman, but these are kind of the other defensemen of that ilk that they could have drafted. And you want to kind of compare them to in the next stage of their development. So let's get into it. Tier one, the top four prospects of the draft shouldn't really be any surprise if you've been following the draft class uh, over the last year and a half at this point. Number one, winger, Alexei Lafreniere. Number two, center, Quinton Byfield. Number three, winger, Lucas Raymond. And number four, winger slash center, Tim Stutzla. These four prospects have the skill set, the ceiling, the potential, uh, that confidence in their ability to make good on that potential that you expect of a top three pick. And that I know I said this is an average draft, but that's above average having four prospects that are good enough for the top three. So that's a good start to the draft. Uh, you know, Ottawa has to be really happy at three and five. They're going to probably, they could likely end up with two top three, you know, caliber picks inside this group i kind of have it broken into two subgroups in the tier it's lafreniere and byfield i think the two realistic options if a team is drafting at number one and then i think raymond and stutzla who are two really big options if i was you know for number three and it's a decision for who's drafting at number three uh i i think any of these four could end up being the best player in the draft five years down the line i I wouldn't know who to bet money on. I think right now, if, you know, judging by the odds that Vegas would give, Byfield would be a great one to put money on because uh, he's younger, he's a center, um, and that is more unique to this draft class. That's more rare. Um, and also, it's more important in the NHL to get that number one center than a number one winger. Uh, even if that number one winger is a Lafreniere type who is really good below the goal line, is really good in the crease, has some of that grit and the it factor that you look for to be, you know, a top forward on a team. Uh, Byfield has that too, I think, and he has athleticism. He has a lot of room to grow, and he's almost a full year younger. Um, so so that stands out. Uh, there's no reason that a team picking Byfield at number one would really feel bad about it or worried about it i think there's a ton of reason for them to draft byfield at number one makes a ton of sense the reason i have kind of raymond and stutzla um separated from them is because i think you know at the time the draft takes place uh given the track records giving their tool sets and what they've accomplished lafreniere and byfield are a little ahead of them uh, but you know I don't think it'd be out of the realm of Stutzler or Raymond to go number two overall and and I wouldn't be I wouldn't challenge that or uh, second guess that I think Raymond has that has one showed up in big moments in, in his past so he has that track record he has that it factor to, to combat Lafreniere's selling point point. Um, 
he can shoot and pass just kind of like little Fournier. he's a dual threat um he works hard and he might not be the best defensively like Fournier, but he's going to work hard and, and and back check and all of that stuff so that kind of all equals out um and he's younger so and he has more pro experience he might transition to the nhl uh, just as quickly as Lafreniere, so I I could see that argument, but uh, and, and Stutzla could be a center. I think that kind of hinges on your value. To me, what has me label him as a forward instead of a, a center is, I think some of his decision making when it comes to finishing plays. Um, finishing uh, moves on defenders and stuff. There's a lot of times where he can get the puck to a teammate. He can get keep possession of the puck, uh, you know, team possession of the puck rather than adding that last little toe drag onto the move or trying to do a little too much or, you know, it's just not the right, he's going too fast or the puck's too bobbly to be doing a move. And that type of decision-making, I think, has to be refined before you would start to make him into a center. So it could be a longer road for him to become a center. And I think his talent is making is moving him too quickly. Uh, so I think he's going to end up being a winger. Um, but again, I could see it. I mean, I, I said that I thought Dubois was going to be a winger, and, and a lot of people said that uh and and you can see that he he's a center now and and it's come together for him and and he's you know obviously lived up to that third overall uh draft ranking so uh, it wouldn't surprise me if that is a similar case again in 2020 with with Stutzla tier two in this tier we have five six seven and eight ranked uh prospects for for me these are likely top line or top six center um, prospects. Again, all forwards. No defenseman yet. No goalie yet. Um, this tier used to be bigger. It used to include you know a revolving door of some of the prospects in in tier three, but I ended up sticking with the more limited tier two because because ultimately I have less doubt in their ability to transition and be NHL players at the very least in the middle of a lineup uh, and be productive and contributing NHL players. This tier is at five, Alexander Holtz, winger, six, Anton Lindell, center, seven, Marco Rossi, center, eight, Cole Perfetti, center. This is a tier where I can see any argument for any order of these prospects uh marco rossi over lindell i can see it but i really like lindell um to me he's the best of the rest center after you get through after you know you look at byfield and stutzla as you know the best cases for a number one center coming out of this draft after that it has to be anton lindell because he's at least defensively he will be an elite defensive center he will have enough offense to be at least be a 2c i think and push to be a 1c maybe not on a deep playoff team but uh he can play that 1c role for sure uh his shots underrated his playmaking for sure is underrated he's a quick puck mover he doesn't hold on to it too long and i think when we look at prospects who we consider big playmakers now it's a lot of the mitch marner's 
the Cole Perfettis, you know, not trying to knock them or anything, but these are the Barzells, the puck raggers who put up a lot of points and hold on to the puck and have the puck, and their playmaking is derived from wading out and opening up lanes through holding onto the puck, where Lindell is much more taking the lanes that are given from a defense and moving the puck quickly, uh, and that's much more my style of game, and, and I rate that higher. Um, 70 points for Lindell, I think, is is reasonable in the NHL, and that's why I have him at six, and that's not too high for me because uh, I believe in that as, as a realistic uh, potential for him. Holtz at five, I mean, he's the top in this tier, and we haven't talked about him yet, uh, but he had a better year, I think, than Raymond given his – given because he was given more opportunity in his draft year uh, at the pro league. He's an underrated playmaker. He will be able to drive play uh, through the neutral zone, through passing um, when teams kind of double up on him. He's got the shot. He has the best shot, best finisher in this draft class, in my opinion. Um, you know, his arsenal and his shot is, it's not just a one-timer. It's just not a wicked wrister. It's not, um, you know, just good hands. It's being able to score with tips, with, uh, you know, in any which way, garbage goals, pretty goals, uh, deeks, one-timers, wrist shots, snapshots, backhands, that really uh, stands out. I think Holtz at, could end up being the guy that I look back and say, why wasn't he in Tier 1? He should have been in Tier 1. Um, and I think it might surprise some people if he ends up being better than Stutzla or, or Raymond, but I don't think it would surprise me. The Rossi-Perfetti uh, debate kind of was something when the CHL season was going on over the winter that was kind of heating up, and it was kind of this draft version is a Taylor or a Tyler, not that it, they were at the top of the draft or anything. Um, but it was kind of a preference thing. They both put up really good numbers. They both are good playmakers, good scorers, have good skill sets. Rossi, to me, has a better command of the center ice, has a better command of deception and pace and playing through the middle than Perfetti and projects as more as a center. And that's really the only reason I gave, gave him a bump over Perfetti and, and the deciding factor is I see Perfetti as a wing. But if he is available at eight, a team is not going to be disappointed to to draft him I guess run up quickly to their Zoom microphone and draft him. <laughs> I guess that's what we get in 2020. Tier 3, this is where the draft really opens up. This goes 9 to 21. Obviously, I can break this tier into sub-tiers or you know give preferences within the tiers, but all these prospects, 9 through 21, to me have that same sort of potential ceiling skill set foundation uh to begin from and it's really about what risk profile you like what play style you like how your prospect pool what you know which prospect you think is, you can develop and get into an nhl better or helps your team better um and i think in an average draft this is what you expect uh that by the end of the top 10 or, or right outside the top 10 back to, you know, almost the end of the first round that those mid twenties is kind of wide open anywhere from nine and 10 in this draft back to, you know, the early twenties. If 
the one or two prospects I'm really excited about aren't there. I'd consider trading back and adding another pick and getting someone of that same tier. Uh, and, you know, that extra pick, uh, I think you'd be better off for it at the end of the day. This tier I kind of labeled as possible 20-minute players, you know, top six players, top four defenders. But it's really the clear-cut first-round talents, the, the guys that I think should be going in the first round no matter about COVID or what teams are drafted or how they played in their draft year or whatever. It The whole picture, everything adds up to this is a first-round talent. The top end of this tier are prospects that I really believe in. I think that other people would say that I'm reaching on or overexcited on or have biases towards. But these prospects fit the prospect profile I look for consistently. Are also prospects that are trending the right way uh, throughout the draft year and do have strong believers out there in the public scouting community and not to mention other people like myself who do prospect tracking or prospect data modeling that do provide some evidence that back up my thoughts and opinions. Since the tiers are going to be larger uh, from now on, I'm just going to go one by one instead of reading them all uh, at the front and discussing as a group. Um, I think there's probably more value in this drill down approach. At nine, Lucas Reichel. Left-handed forward from Germany. His uncle, Robert Reichel, uh, was in NHL, you probably remember. His father also played a few games in the NHL. Reichel is somebody who's all over the ice, always pressuring the opposition when they have the puck, always getting pucks in the dangerous areas. I think his shooting and his finishing ability is underrated. He's young. He's trended well over his... Uh, professional season in Germany every shift he was leading to dangerous chances he was breaking up dangerous chances going the other way there's not one high-end skill set there's not one elite factor of his game but he has enough skill set to play in a top six role and really drive play win back puck battles get the puck off the wall and into the slot for his line mates and being able to finish the puck and finish rebound chances when they do come his way. It's that perfect mix of underrated high, high floor and uh, a ceiling that, that really is untapped and, and really not defined yet. And I think that really allows a team to probably step up and, and draft him in the late teens, early twenties uh, where I have him ranked ninth overall. And I think, the ranking, I think, will look better over in time. If Reichel was playing in the CHL, he probably would have put up over a point per game, been right up there with Perfetti and, and, and Rossi and Lindell and, and Holtz, and I think that's why I have him ranked at the top of Tier 3 and right there. After Reichel, I think, is the best place to slot in Yaroslav Askarov, the Russian goalie, the best goalie prospect I've seen in my limited uh, experience on this earth. 10th overall is about the earliest I think I'd ever consider drafting a goalie. It's really helped, again, by having no defensemen uh, to really compete against, in my opinion, uh, and not enough centers backing him up into the teens and 20s. Uh, 
this isn't a goalie like Carter Hart or I think Spencer Knight or Vasilevsky or Samsonov. I think this is a this is really a, a step above. Goalies are unpredictable. They're risky. They are voodoo. But the track record, what we've seen him do as a professional goalie in the KHL, what we've seen him do in the MHL, what we've seen him do in the World Juniors, not this past one, but the one before that and other international tournaments, it's clear that there is a poise, a maturity, uh, a game-breaking skill set, and the mental strength most of the time to really push behind any mistakes or, or uh, bad luck that you don't see in goalies rarely ever. And you definitely don't see at this young age. Um, this is again, like a step above Knight and Carter Hart and some of those other goalies. I think it is reasonable to use a top 15 pick for this goalie. I personally would probably pick them around 13, 14, 15, but I think the teams, some of the teams, uh, in those 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 range, uh, could use him. Uh, would not shock me if Minnesota is the one that ends up taking him. Um, but I think that there is a a good spot in the rankings to, to put Askarov here. Uh, I really believe in the defenders that come up in the next couple spots uh, and the two centers at 11 and 12, ranked right behind this goalie. Uh, I think it's they have less of a risk and, and all of that, but if we're talking game-breaking, dynamic, who can win you more games on their own, uh, Askarov, I think, if I'm being realistic and honest with myself, has that bigger potential, and I'd be willing to swing, swing for it if I was the right team. Uh, so t- top 10 makes sense for me there relish it i don't think there will be another goalie this high in a in a y hockey draft guide again um it's kind of perfect storm here for for askarov 11 and 12 it's really hard for me to to really pick between the two i am leaning on my biases of picking uh european uh over the french canadian although i love both of those types of players, but also I'm leaning the defensive acumen, the elite play outside the puck uh, more. Um, so at, at 11, we have Merit Hushnadinov, and at 12, we have Merrick Bork. No relation to Ray Bork, unfortunately, uh, but he does wear number 22, a cool number uh, that we need to see less goons wear and more skilled players wear. So, so good up for Merrick Bork. The name in that number makes up for not being related to Ray. Uh, Both of these centers are extremely intelligent playmakers. They're both very good uh, projections to be centers at the NHL. I think with their playmaking, with their IQ, with their ability to move the puck quickly, they don't have to hang on to it. They can be uh, contributors without the puck. They can make their linesmates better by moving pucks quickly. Um, they're good enough skaters and they hang out in the middle of the ice in the crease in those spots uh, where you want to see centers uh, hanging out and dictating play. Hushnaldinov, I think, has the ability to be more of a Datsukian uh, defensive center. 
I'm not trying to compare his skill level or his ceiling to a Datsuk, who may be one of the best centers of all time to play the game, but he try he influences the game in the same way. Uh, he has that same sort of playmaking and defensive style. But you see a true center. You see someone who has the dangles and skills to play on a top line. You see somebody who has the ability to drive zone exits, zone entries, break up plays, be good defensively, possibly elite defensively. Uh, in a draft class where you're looking for centers, who's going to be a top six center, who's going to be a top six center. If I'm somebody in the early teens, I would definitely be jumping at Merritt because it's unlikely in the second round you're going to have multiple options of who could be a decent center, uh, decent top six center in the NHL and provide value. Um, and if, you know, he doesn't hit, you know, that those, that shifty playmaking, some of, you know, his shot doesn't improve enough to really score, uh, more. And he's only a 50, 50 point center. He's still good enough defensively to get 20 minutes, uh, with the penalty kill, with taking matchups, uh, in his playoff series, et cetera, that you're not going to regret, uh, uh, picking the teens for him. I don't think. Uh, Maverick Bork, I just want to finish up. He can play with talent. He can self-create and drive play on his own. He can shoot. He can score. He's one of the only centers I look at that the only knock is I want him to get a little more patient. I want him to get a little stronger, and I want him to get a little more defensive structure in his game. But leaving the queue and getting into the AHL will – add that maturity, that defensive acumen, that patience, that will come through development. So again, there's really not a knock I can really say with Maverick Bork, and that puts him at 12. Now at 13, 14, and 15, we see defenders. They're all Swedish defenders, which if you listen to this podcast, if you've read our other draft rankings in recent years and draft guides in recent years or followed some of our other prospect coverage, this is not a shock. Swedish defenders and now recently adding to that uh, Finnish defenders are the reason I got into prospects. I wanted to do draft guide and I started pushing this on my hockey because I wanted to put those defenders in more of the spotlight and talk about them and show that they were better uh, than being given credit for. That's not to say that these Swedish defensemen are there because of their nationality I do believe and I struggled and I've went back and forth on this all year I do believe uh, they are the best that they are the best three defensemen to spend a pick on in the first round uh, I know that's gonna be counterintuitive to a lot of people who've been reading that Jamie Drysdale and Jake Sanderson are the top two defensemen in this class, followed by Caden Gooley or Brandon Schneider or somebody like that. Uh, and none of these people are Swedish. And you're like, what is going on? Um, uh, I guess we can get into that now and, and, and explain what is what is going on. So at 13, I have Helga Granz, right-handed defender. 14, William Wallinder, uh left-handed defender 
15, Emil Andre, another left-handed defender. So let's start with Helga Granz. Not only is it a great hockey name, not only does he like to throw big hits, not only can he be a power play cornerback, not only is he 6'4", not only is he a good skater for that size, uh, not only is he good at breaking up zone entries and creating havoc in the neutral zone, uh, but out of all the defensemen, he has the most awareness about what a number one defenseman is supposed to be doing on the ice uh, and what that role is. Um, I think, and I say this in the uh, draft guide and I've been saying it all year, but he play, he wants to impact the game like Chris Pronger wanted to impact the game. It's being involved in the game and dictating game whistle to whistle and then also trying to dictate and get in the players' heads after the whistles, between the whistles. Uh, it's knowing how to be a good defensive partner and how to elevate your defensive partner. Uh, and you could start to see Granz putting that into a more refined and less raw uh, style when he moved up to the pro team played in some SHL games uh, and dramatically uh, simplified and improved his game. I think when you're looking at a draft class that you believe is missing that top tier of defensemen, I'm looking for a defenseman that has the frame, the skill set, the ability to defend as a top pair defenseman and then is thinking like the Rorenskis like the Provorovs, like the Heiskanens do that we see now. And like, you know, the Niedermeyers, the Prongers, um, all those number one defensemen that we, Stevens, uh, Leach, that we saw and their gamesmanship and their ability to understand the moment on the ice. Uh, I I think Granz is, has it. And I don't want to drone on too much about that, but that's why he's the number one defenseman for me. And I think that is worth all the risk and that comes along with him um, knowing that I think Swedish defensemen do translate well to the NHL and you don't have to worry about their development as much. 14, William Valinda. Uh, I think if you're looking at a new age, number one defenseman uh, like a Quinn Hughes or like a, a Colton Paranko or Broberg or, one of those Ekman Larson type defensemen, Wallinder is my best bet of this draft to to do that. Uh, he's big. He can. He's the best skating defenseman in this draft draft class. I think he's better skating than Jake Sanderson. Uh, I know there's some concerns about his offensive acumen and and what he can do with the puck. But I don't think there's enough consideration given into his growth spurts and the fact that Moto is a high-paced, very aggressive-styled team. Uh, and when you peel back that and you let him grow into his body a little more, add some strength, and he's a little less Bambi and controlled with the puck and in a controlled structure, his offense is really going to be more directed and meaningful. And you're going to see more chances, more points, etc. from that. Um but I, he does is he does have mistakes in his own end. He does lose his man. He does run out. Again, we talk about Moto being very attack of and aggressive uh, in defense in all three zones. 
but you know some of it was also some rawness and and some need to refine his decision making in the defensive end and to kind of slow him down and show him he has more time with the puck or getting to pucks or exiting the zone with the puck um but the ceiling to play monster minutes to be a monster at both ends of the ice and be hard to deal with for the other team with and without the puck is there the skill sets there uh and again moto is a development program i trust even if i don't necessarily like the style of hockey they play but i still trust them and i think that goes to their show their ability to turn out quality nhl uh players 15 emil andre one that i originally had behind drysdale and sanderson but ultimately andre's ability to defend at a high enough level to match his offensive capabilities is what pushed him ahead drysdale i wonder about the ability to defend enough uh to keep him on the ice enough to use to get those 20 some minutes and and utilize his offensive skills at evens and not just on power play. I'm not sure it's going to be there enough. I could see it more with Andre. He is a little shorter, but not that much shorter than Drysdale and he's thicker. He's stronger on his skates. He's got a better center of gravity and foundation and he hits more. He's more physical and he separates players from the puck more and gets puck possession back more. Uh, and, and I'm willing to bet on that. Uh, Sanderson obviously does those things really well and at a way better rate and better level than Andre but I don't see him having anywhere close to that offensive potential that Andre does. Um, when we, we'll, I'll get into talking to Sanderson when, it, when it's there. But Andre, again, beats out those two North Americans because I see the ability to be that as good as them, but in both ends of the rink. It's a harder sell for me to buy that with Sanderson or Drysdale. At 16, Radom Amirov, left winger, plays in Russia. Another uh, fall 2001 birth year. There are a seemingly higher number of older fall birth years for forwards at the top end of this draft class and, and some of the defenders as well. So just something to be watchful for. I think gaps of six, seven, eight months, uh, there is you know, a lot of potential for development there that could have somebody supplant, you know, the, the older prospect. Amirov's a prototypical high volume shooter, you know, that the Russians seamlessly produce. He's able to disappear, reappear in soft spots in the offensive zone. Um, but more so has some playmaking, some consistency to his game and ability to, to contribute um, when he's not just getting on the score sheet. I think he can play in all situations and kind of be, uh, you know, for the Florida fans out there, Denisenko or um, a Huberto-esque type of winger. I don't know if he will be as good as them. Time will tell. Uh, but I think he sure, certainly has that potential and that play style uh, if he's developed the right way to, to be that type of player. At 17, Maverick Bork's teammate, Vasily Panamarov. Uh, you know, that's a high ranking if you're just looking at CHL production. 
Um, but if you're looking at skill set, if you're looking at ceiling, if you're looking at potential, he should be up there with Maverick Bork uh, and Murat Hushnaldinov uh, and, and Lucas Reichel up there right around that top 10 spot. He'll be used in a shootout. He'll be able to put up power play points. But what really stands out to me is I think the playmaking potential and the potential to be a solid two-way center, um, but more just a really strong offensive center at the NHL level. 18, Jake Sanderson. This ranking, I really want to just keep saying, is not an insult. It's not a statement on Sanderson. Sanderson is the exact type of defenseman I think is under drafted underutilized in the nhl and forgotten about just because he doesn't have offensive potential i think jonas brodine nicholas yarmelson those are fair comparisons and a fair expectation uh from sanderson and worthy of a mid to late first round pick for sure uh, even jumping up in a 12 13 14 spot if that's a team need you desperate need like say florida i could maybe stomach that i think they need centers more so i i would want them to jump to get a center more but i could it's acceptable it, it i understand it it's a rationale that makes sense um i just don't think that jake sanderson has the offensive acumen or offensive potential to be worthy of a top 10 pick i think that's what separates me from the general consensus i know he's played power play in the ushl uh for the development team um but i don't see him having that ability uh at the nhl level he's not going to be playing power play minutes or he shouldn't be um you should be able to in this day and age with all these offensive defensemen out there whether they're offensive only or they're two-way uh or a top end you know dynamic defenseman like number one you should be able to find two to three more defensemen to play in a power play over jake sanderson he's got a good shot but that shot isn't going to be that good when you get into the pro levels and it's not the junior level uh in the ushl i would say is not a tier one junior league uh that as much as chl is i think they're kind of in between that tier one tier two minor junior uh league they're kind of in that um so when you talk about competition level, et cetera, uh, yeah, I, I just don't see it with Jake Sanderson. Lovely skater. Um, I, I hardly see him get beat. Uh, you know, I think sometimes he tries to do too much with it uh, when he has the puck and hold on to it. I think if I drafted him, it'd be easy to change that. Uh, he's very seems very coachable. He's going to fit well. He's going to be an NHL defenseman. I could see a second pair uh shut down defenseman for him he's gonna play 20 some minutes but i just don't see the offense to to automatically guarantee a higher ranking for me if it's a team fit that makes sense 10 11 12 i could be convinced to do it but that's kind of the ceiling for jake sanderson for me i want to get on to uh 19 ozzy weisblatt this is um a center winger who uh i really am uh, a big fan of and bullish on and and i like to pump the tires up uh six top six in chl primary assist top 10 in chl points per 60 at even strength those are something that stand out to me uh he can play center he can play wing he played on a very low goal f four and goal against team uh, so that's low event hockey so 
yeah, when you look at some of these other prospects like Seth Jarvis or uh, Dawson Mercer or some of these other guys who played on more high event hockey teams and put up more points in run and gun, uh, look at the the reason Weisblatt compares compares much favorably when you go to the rate stats and you look at some of those even breakdowns uh, is because just how his team uh, played and and you know kind of their goal the team's goal output um, but I think he's just as effective as some of those other players and bump because I see him as a center at 20 Noel Gundler somebody who was in the teens for most of this year uh, one of the best scorers in this draft pro experience uh, you're not going to expect much defense out of him but that that's fine um, garbage goals tips again like Holtz he's a goal scorer that can do it in a lot of ways so it's going to be harder for him to go uh, cold and have be as streaky as say somebody like Mike Hoffman who's more of a power play one-timer or just you know long open shots uh, goal scorer if you see not Niels Hollander's uh, progression uh, from you know his draft from Vancouver to, to industry thoughts on him now you can see why I have Noel Gundler at, at 20 and why I think he's worthy of a pick there and I, I do feel, I do feel he could be earlier. He could be in the 14-15 range even. And to finish up the tier at 21, Jamie Drysdale, right-handed defenseman. Uh, I keep saying that he's a good one-on-one -on -one defender uh, and he's a good one-on-one -on -one battler, but I think that's going to be the extent of his defensive skills. I think he's got good edge work and he's a pretty good playmaker. I don't know if I see the top-end offensive skills that you see in a Makar, a Shoes, uh, a Provorov, a Wierenski, a Jones. I think it might be a notch under that. Some of the reasons I say that are the bunchingness of his of his point production, and a lot of his points came within, you know, a, a handful of games against bottom feeders in, in the league and, and on the power play, and I... I think, you know, late teens, early 20s is, is where I'd be comfortable taking Drysdale. I think that there's a lot more similarities between Barron and Poirier and Drysdale uh, than there are between Drysdale and Bowen and Byram or Vakar or Heiskanen or um, somebody like that, Broberg. Um, so that that's just kind of how I land. Again, it's not an insult. It's not a slight uh you know those types of defensemen i think are good are useful in the top four but are you know worthy of a pick beyond the top 15 outside that top 15 in the first round tier four is for the tweeners the, the guys who are in between first round you know late first round early second round picks first round skill levels with a little more risk or a little more doubt or a longer trajectory of getting to the NHL and, and, and being a contributing member of an NHL team. First at 22, Brendan Brisson, son of Pat Brisson, player agent, going to Michigan next year. He's a, one of the better shooters uh, coming out of the OHL, if not the best shooter. He's a guy I could see easily being a center with, um, some of his skating and puck skills. Uh, 
unlike a lot of the centers in this draft that I think are actually going to be centers in the NHL, he's not a playmaker. He's more of a sh- he's a shoot first shooter. I don't want to say Jeff Carter, but you know, I don't think he's going to be looking for passes on the other side of the red line uh, if he has the puck. That's for sure. What kept Rison out of tier three was his ability to do more off the cycle uh, and to play make a little more uh, out of the defensive end. And on the breakout, I think going to Michigan is great for his development and why he's at the top of this tier because it's likely that changes and improves by the end of his time at Michigan. Number 23, Dawson Mercer, right winger or a center, depending on who you ask. Uh, another fall 2001 birth year played for Shakunami in the queue, a team uh, that I like and has developed some really good slick puck handlers in, in the last couple of years. Mercer's more of a straight line player who gets a lot of his goals around the net, does a lot of his activity around the net. I would like to see him do more through the center of the ice and uh, in the neutral zone to, to earn that center moniker. But uh, there's not really too much to dislike in his game and a pretty safe safe pick, I think, in, in the 20s for, uh, for a playoff team. A similar player who is less slick and finesse of the QHL and more meat and potatoes of the NCAA is Dylan Holloway at 24. A guy who could be wing, be centers. Again, another fall 2001 birth year. Played at Wisconsin, which I think... Had a lot of talent on their roster, but I don't know about that coaching. The way it was utilized seems suspect, and uh, their results are definitely worth questioning what was going on there. Um, but I think Holloway can be a power forward winger, can be more of a intimidating, forceful center if he ends up as a center. Good enough skater, good enough scorer, good enough passer. Uh, I think his versatility, his durability, his flexibility is what really puts him in this uh, tier and ranking over um, any one skill set or trait. Uh, but I don't want to knock that. That's At this point in the draft, that's pretty desirable. And uh, like I said, that ability to be kind of a forceful center uh, is something that might bump him up and get him taken earlier in this draft. Knowing the lack of centers in this draft and knowing how NHL GMs feel about forceful physical centers. At 25, we have the third German, John Jason Paterka, uh, a winger. I think a lot of people have him ranked higher than Lucas Reichel. Uh, I'm not sure that's going to be the case in three years. Paterka seems kind of meat and potatoes, a very good Michael Roffel, Martin Kaut type player. Reichel has the hands and the speed and the game processing skills, I think to play on the, on those higher lines as a pro, I think for is going to be more of a middle six uh, meat and potato play driver. There's a lot of pucks going through the net. There's a lot of danger opportunities when he's on the ice. It doesn't always look pretty um, and he doesn't always finish those chances, but that's offset by having a likely transition to the NHL and, and being a likely NHL player, you can play 300 games or more. At 26 overall, we have Ronnie Hervinen, Finnish center. Production in the Liga, his zone entries, his puck skills, they all rate and project out well to be a top six center in the NHL. 
I worry some about his ability to play through the center of the ice outside in a smaller rink and if that might push him to the wall but he's a strong backhand player he's got a nose for the net which to me are traits of players who don't mind getting in those messy areas don't mind battling for the center of the ice etc if you're on the backhand a lot that means you're willing to put your shoulder down and use it to protect the puck uh, and he does that enough 27 left-handed defender ryan o'rourke plays for sault st marie greyhounds in the ohl a team that i think has put out a lot of quiet subtle defensemen who you only really notice and realize how valuable they are when they start to play ahl and, and nhl minutes rasmus sandin is the last ssm uh, example i can come up with that fits that profile uh, that I was pretty high on as well. I see O'Rourke as a similar point in his development as Sandine was at the time. I don't know if he'll quickly jump into the next stages of his development like Sandine do did, was able to the year after his draft. Um, but I think O'Rourke is a capable two-way defenseman, a guy who moves pucks quickly, smartly, simply, uh, and is not going to stand out unless he's making some good defensive plays or every once in a while with a stretch pass for an assist and stuff. And that's fine. That's great. He's going to do a lot of things that fans won't notice, but coaches and teammates and especially the goalie is really going to love and appreciate and is going to translate into a lot of saved goals. At 28 and 29, we have two centers who have a lot of promise but also have some red flags that scare off a lot of people. 28, Jacob Perot. 29, Hendricks LaPierre. LaPierre was a top 15, top 20 pick heading into the year. Injuries, concussions, uh, the last concussion being down, being changed to actually a, a neck injury. But as we've seen with Nolan Patrick with migraines and neck injuries, those can be just as um, scary. Uh, I don't think LaPierre La uh, would be this low, would be in the 20s, uh, if it was not for these injuries. Uh, yes, there's some concern about the offensive potential, but but LaPierre is smart. He's a strong puck distributor. He shows up and has big shifts in big games uh, in the big moments. Perot is just a sniper, and I, I think I said something about Jeff Carter earlier, and oh boy, this is Jeff Carter. I mean, quick release, paints corners, has kind of that arrogance and also the like not caring at all kind of swagger to him, like that he already has his plans after the game. Um, I would like to see him have more backhand shots, have more wristers and other things, but he's got good motor, good skating, and I can see him as an NHL center. If you some add sprinkle in some little more um, aspects to his game and stuff, would you expect in development? He might be one of the better centers coming out of this draft and somebody who can score 30 goals in the NHL. Um, so, again, a team that steps up to pick him in the first round, if that is the end result, we'll be happy about it. And if it doesn't work out, I think that's still – uh, a good bet and and a worthy bet to take a take a chance on 
Yoni Yermo, defenseman, left-handed, out of Finland at 30. I'm expecting a good year out of Yermo this year. He's he's another one defenseman that his total offensive package uh, was masked by a growth spurt and trying to get all of his limbs and puck skills back under his own control. But he has the mobility to get down the ice, put himself in scoring position, uh, and supporting the offensive rush. And he also has the ability to get back and recover from mistakes or pinches or um, you know, getting beat, what, what have you. I think just when all of it comes together, we're going to see a, a very good, solid second pair defenseman uh, who has the ability to contribute to the offense and take over a shift or two. At 31 is Seth Jarvis, a right winger, possible center, although I struggle seeing it. Um, very prolific in the WHL, 40-some goals, 50-some assists. This ranking may seem low uh, and a little off base compared to the teens and the 20s and sometimes you know the 10 that you see next to his name in, in other rankings and other guides. But I truly believe that as prolific as Jarvis is, he flies the zone very early. He cheats to get a lot of his offense, and he forces a lot of plays that work at a junior level that I wonder if they're going to work at a pro level. And that's enough to just drop him back a bit when we talk about there being a lot of really good offensive wingers um, in this draft that you can get in the second and third round um, and the need for some of these centers and defensemen to kind of come before them and have some value. Um, and some of the wingers that I have in front of Jarvis are ones that do more than just be productive and prolific. Moving into 32, and I guess now technically until Seattle's added in the second round, uh, Lucas Cormier, defenseman from the Q. Dynamic puck skills, skating, very does a lot of escapes, a lot of spin moves, is really good at protecting the puck. Strong on his skates, strong puck mover. When considering the drafts Cormier, look at his shooting percentage, look at his shot totals, and tell me if he wasn't plagued by the shooting percentage fairy this year, he wouldn't be constantly in the top 20, top 30 in a lot of draft lists. At 33 and 34, we have what I like to call waterbug players. Uh, these are very offensive, very attacking-minded forwards who get in on the forecheck, who get in around the net, who scrap and fight, and just have a hunger to create chances and create something and make something happen when they're on the ice. 33 is Dmitry Ovchinnikov. 34 is Connor Zari. Zari is a lot higher given his production uh, on a lot of lists. With Zari, I see somebody who is effective at disturbing four breakouts, dis effective at capitalizing on some chances. and But a lot of the plays he made, it seemed like it could have gone either way and it just happened to work out because of a bounce. I worry about that continuing uh, through his career and being something to bank on. The game for me just has to be a little more tame and refined for him to be in those teens and 20 spots you see on other lists. Akchenikov is a very young August birthday, and I think a lot of the unrefinedness in the warts in his game are going to be ironed out. 
I'm not sure he can find a more refined game and elevate it and become a top six center uh, like Zary, but I still think he can be a top six winger who wins a lot of pucks back, creates a lot of havoc, and gets pucks into the slot. I see an exciting and valuable winger there. 35, 36, 37, we see a little run on defenders. 35, Anton Johannesson. Another Swede, he's small, he's slight, he's very offensive. I don't think you're really going to wonder if he's going to defend enough. I think if you're willing to draft him, you don't really care how he's going to defend. It is what it's going to be. It's about do you think you can give him the power play time uh, to get the most out of him, and do you think that you can get enough points out of him on even strength usage um, to to pick him in, in the second round or third round? I think a lot of teams can, and that's why I have him at 35. Uh, the offensibility, the, the production, uh, is just a very smart player who seems to understand where the lanes are going to open up and, and how to beat defenders uh, and, and and manipulate them into giving and opening up those lanes. A Jeremy Poirier-type offensive skill set just in a smaller Swedish body. For those who don't like drafting smaller defensemen uh, and, and maybe want a little more defensive potential out of them, 36, Topi Nimla is the defender for them. He's an offensive defenseman. He still has that same toe drags, elusiveness, cat and mouse type of style as Anton Johansson. Although I think if you can limit his, he's a lot more risky with his puck management, which is why I have Johansson above him. But if you can refine and take away some of those risky decisions and playmaking uh, breakout passes out of his game, I think he does have more defensive in-zone uh, potential than, than Johansson. 37, Shakir Muka Hamadoulin. Closing gaps, winning battles, that's his specialty. He gets pucks back for his team and then gets out of the way. I know that's a little more controversial in today's NHL, but I don't mind a defenseman that knows what he's good at and does it. I think that there is more offensive ability he can carry a puck he can make plays uh in zone you can move the puck back to him on the blue line it's not so much of getting out of the way he's not going to touch the puck again but he understands what his role is and gives the puck to better forwards in the right times what seemed like bad puck skills this year i think was more just adjusting to the pro level pace of play and i think when he adjusts to that and slows his game down and simplifies it that puck, those puck skills I think he has will start to show themselves more. At 38, you have Luke Evangelista, right winger from the London Knights. There's still a lot of potential and promise uh, that I believe I wanted to see this year. He still has to show me next year and, and get to the slot more in his draft plus one year. But underrated shot, and I, I think he does get his, his flowers for... Um, being a high-end playmaker and, and seeing a lot of plays develop beforehand. I think it's more just about consistency, doing things away from the puck and things like that. But 
Um, second round is is a good landing spot for him and a good spot to draft him if you're any team in the NHL. 39, Ridley Gregg. Definitely seems to be a hockey guy, scout guy, favorite. Um, but he also, on the younger side of the draft, he's an agitator. He blends more of that grinding game with a scores production. And finally, rounding out the top 40 and the fourth tier, Brandon Schneider, defenseman for the Brandon Wee Kings. Much like Sanderson, Snyder's is a high-end defensive shutdown defenseman. He skates well enough to get around the ice to shut down forwards who are skating forward to turn, pivot, and keep up with them. He battles hard in front of the crease. Schneider's a safe bet to be an NHL defenseman. My question is, is it a third pair or is it a second pair defenseman? I don't see any offense. He has a decent shot, but he's definitely not going to be on the power play. Do you think he can play 20 minutes consistently? Do you think he can move the puck enough in the neutral zone and play in the neutral zone? I think his breakouts are fine. I think his in-zone play is fine. But can he do what he does in the defensive zone, in the neutral zone too, and even have that bleed into some of the offensive zone would really help him out because I'm not sure if he has the side-to-side mobility to be like a Jake Sanderson and make it work and be able to eat 20-some minutes out a night just as a defensive-only player. Entering Tier 5 and being 75 minutes into the podcast, we're going to pick up some speed and and just kind of run through the list. At 41, Jan Mysik really picked up after going over to Hamilton and leaving the Czech Pro League. Uh, I see him as a very complimentary top six winger, somebody who does a lot of things away from the play, gets pucks to the better forwards, good defensively. And if he was in Hamilton all year, I think his draft standing would be a little higher. 42 is Tyson Forster, a center in the OHL, right-handed. He's got a hell of a one-timer, hell of a goal scorer, but there's really not that much else to his game. You wonder about the skating, if that mobility concerns keeps him from being a center, keeps him from being a scorer outside the power play. Um, but again, he's at 42, even though I like probably the forwards at 43, 44, 45 better than him because he does have that scoring capability and he does look like he could be a center. And if it all comes together... Uh, you know, it's worth it's worth that shot. Um, just got to fix that skating. 43, Theodore Niederbach. 44, Roby Urventi. 45, Justin Sordif. 46, Zion Nybeck. These are all forwards. I really believe in the natural skill levels, the creativity, the offensive abilities of these players. But it's all raw tools. It's all raw athleticism. It's all puck skills or, um, you know, there's some refinement. And then, of course, when it comes to Zion Nybeck, he's like 5'8", and, and that hurts him there. Um, I think if he's even just 5'9", 5'10", uh, he's he's much higher up this, this draft, draft list. 47, Alexander Nikishin. 
This is a Bufflin, Romanov type boomer bust pick, but again, like a guy like Helga Granz, he's trying to be dynamic. He's trying to make an impact every shift. At this point in the draft, you start getting into the more one-dimensional defensemen or the underrated defensemen that you think are just being slept on. For me, Nikishin is somebody that has some dynamicism and really boom or bust that I th- I think it's worth taking a chance on because there's going to be enough one-dimensional shutdown defensemen or offensive defensemen in later rounds. I, I, I'll be fine with it. Caden Ghoul, Ghoulie at 48. Again, if you want to talk about Sanderson or if you want to talk about Schneider and stuff, I have time for that. What really stops me from giving serious interest to Caden Ghoulie, I have him ranked 48. He's probably going to go in the top 20. I could probably even see him going in the top 15. I bet you the Florida Panthers might even draft him. But... The issue with him is he cannot move the puck. He has, I would say, less than average puck skills. His passing is at maybe NHL average. I don't know how fixable that is. His mobility has some same issues as Schneider and everything. Yes, he's good breaking up plays with his stick. Um, he's a stable and physical shutdown guy. He can skate up the ice with the puck really well he can carry the puck he's got a bomb of a shot but i don't see him on the power play i don't see him moving the puck out on breakouts effectively i see him committing a lot of turnovers i see him getting beat on pivots a a decent amount at the nhl rate of pace i understand and i see merits to him i think he's a worthwhile prospect for a lot of teams to take a chance on but i'm not willing to do that in the top 30 and i think too many teams will be i see him late second round that's when i'm willing to take a, a step on him like i said this nikishin i value as much more even if it's more risky i think you're getting a way better defenseman when it works out 49 emil vero a left-handed defenseman another finn i do like him he's quiet he's in the picture he doesn't do much I think he's going to have a really good draft plus one year this year. 50, William Villanueva. His points, if you're just looking at his box score and read some scouting reports, it seems like he's more of an offensive defenseman, you know, thinking that way. But I saw a quiet, subtle defenseman who just got points because he'd start the breakout. He'd start the rush. He'd take advantage of napping goalies uh, and napping teams on the transition. And I think he has a longer term trajectory than some of these defensemen but um some of the defensemen i just named don't have the ceiling that i think villanueva has if he can get there uh and i really like him 51 casper simon tallville uh carpat uh, played in finnish league again just another high-end competitive offensive slightly smaller winger uh nothing wrong with them nothing against them there's just a lot of them in this draft and that pushes some of them have to be later in the draft you know uh thomas bordalo the one u.s development forward i really liked a center he's gonna be going to michigan with brisson he's gonna be going to michigan um with some other high-end forwards of this draft class and next draft class i'm not a hundred percent sure 
that works in Bordalo's favor, and he's not the guy that gets pushed down the lineup and sat out instead of playing with all the other top-end talent. So that's one reason he's at 52. Another reason is I don't see deceptive play from him, which I want to see out of a center, disguising his passing, uh, being a little hard for the defenders to jump on his breakout passes, things like that, uh, and just the skating as well. 53, Emil Heineman. 54, Jack Quinn. That's a low ranking for, for Jack Quinn. I like a guy like Heineman better than him, uh, who's already two months younger, and he's a November birthday. Quinn's a, is one of the oldest people in the draft. Uh, but Heineman is a phys- he does things without the puck well. He's physical. He disrupts four checks and everything. I see Jack Quinn as pretty one-dimensional shooter, guy who just skates around and tries to get his points. Uh, I really worry about his playmaking. His passing is atrocious. His vision on the ice a lot of times is atrocious. And to me, those negative – I'm not talking about average. I'm talking below negative – uh, skill traits really drop him down even though he has really high-end skills like a shot and stuff 55 Antonio Stranges I was really expecting a lot out of Antonio Stranges this year I wanted to be able to rank him in the 20s and the 30s be able to push him for a sleeper pick and everything uh, unfortunately I didn't see the produ- production and didn't really come together this year but he's a really good edge work skater. He is really good at carrying the puck in and out of the zone and setting players up and holding on to it and outweighing defenders. And it's just, can he figure out? I mean, the majority of his game is that edge work. And when it comes to shooting and positioning, it's how he gets there. But can that be progressed into a more effective style, I think is the issue. Um, so, but London Knights, that's a good development. Uh, I wouldn't want Mark Hunter as, you know, my GM, but I would definitely want him as the GM of the junior team developing my players. So that bodes well for him. 56, Ron and Seeley. What I said about William Villeneuve, I feel about Ron and Seeley. It's not as... Uh, I think he he didn't have as productive of a year, but I think he does those same things that Villanueva does. Uh, really subtle, quiet, good puck mover, good puck distributor. The kind of the one, the kind that I want on the back end. And when I think of two way, this is the defenseman I think of. He's going to look really good in a couple of years, I think. And that brings us into tier six, our final tier, the last bit of group of prospects that I think are worthy of taking a draft pick on this year rather than waiting to see if they can be signed without a draft pick or see how they do in somebody else's system or wait till next year in a redraft. There's something about their game that although I only see them maybe as a bottom sixer right now or something, there's something about their game that projects them to be a top nine forward or a top six defender and get regular minutes in the NHL. Alexander Passion is a smaller Russian winger. Being able to get KHL games at his size show what the Russians think of his high-end skill level, but also shows that he's willing to 
be a pass disturb and get in on the four checks and play in some hard areas. 58, Tristan Robbins. He was an above a point per game player, uh, but he doesn't really have that tool set that really says point above a point per game player. Uh, but I don't see any red flags. And when I watched him, I saw someone that was effective at doing their job and creating chances and having it result in pucks crossing the goal line. And I can't really hate that. 59, Yaramir Pitlick. Very direct and detailed center. He just needs to improve on some footwork and show that he has a, a higher offensive gear. At 60 is third time through the draft, Pavel Gagliev. He was a Y hockey favorite his first time through. He's been in this guide a few times. He's still one of the best goal scorers in this draft. He's somebody that I think can step into the NHL, especially given uh, the weirdness of next season and, and what could happen. I think he's definitely worthwhile uh, in the late second round, early third round for a team that needs wingers who can contribute offensively to, to step into the NHL next year and be cheap on an ELC. 61 and 62, we get our second and third goalies, Jan Bednar and Joel Bloomquist, respectively. Beginning of the third round is where I'd probably start selecting goalies after Askarov. I think the second round will have a lot of those defensemen that didn't get picked in the first round, a lot of high-end, high-productive wingers, and I wouldn't pick a goalie over them. But I would start to pick goalies. You know, you're starting to consider overagers. You're starting to consider goalies at this point in the draft. Makes sense. That's kind of average for the for the draft at this point. And another reason I, I say this draft is is an average draft. Bloomquist probably had the better draft year, but Bednar I think has the better potential and frame and uh, is liked better by the community, the scouting community, and is younger. And I think that that definitely helps. Both goalies are, like most goalie prospects that aren't first-round draft picks, they're raw. They need more refinement in their game. They need to get a little more stapled and anchored in their crease. And they need to get a little stronger and fill out their uh, jerseys a little more so some of their leaky pucks and stuff don't go through um, and find a little more consistency. But there's really not anything to knock in their game. Uh, they... Both can get out and handle a puck well enough and move around and, and are good enough skaters. They both are big enough and take up large you know, portions of the net So and, and stay square. Uh, I'm pretty pretty excited about these goalies. Um, for me, I mean, outside the Spencer Knights and Askarovs, like, the last couple of years have been high in, in our draft guides. 60s is about where the goalies start to go. Uh, so seeing goalie at 61, 62 means that they're, they're liked uh, by us. 63, Oscar Magnuson, um, Malmo Redhawk winger. He's got the skill and sense to play in the NHL. He's always looking to make plays, always looking to turn everything into instant offense. At 64 and 65, we have two defensemen that I like, even though I'm uh, aware of the limitations to the skill set in games. Uh, Hugo Steiff from Sweden, another Swede I really like, and Brock Faber, who's got a, a nice flow that you, you might consider him Swedish. Uh, but he'll be at Minnesota uh, to keep that Scandinavian vibe going, I guess, next year. 
favorite came out of the ushl good skating you know solid enough average puck skills that could use some refinement but i, I just think he just does everything at a good enough level uh scouts seem to like him minnesota is going to be good for his development when it comes to looking at the d left in this draft he's at 65 one of the last ones i could see taking meaningful everyday minutes uh in the nhl stife is a little less exciting than faber he's just more has the ability to play in the nhl the ability to not be a liability he puts pucks in the right spots he's not just off the glass and out he puts them onto the tape but he's quiet he's simple he's effective and he gets off the ice 66 overall jack finley played for spokane six foot five right-handed center just south of a point per game i don't understand why you know this ranking at 66 seems to be on the higher end for him i figured he would definitely be a mid-second round pick given everything i just said about him worth a flyer in the third round and he has the skills to be an nhl center Leo Luf at 67, one last Swedish defender when you couldn't think I could pull another one out. 68, Oliver Tarnstrom, Dick Tarnstrom's kid. I like Dick Tarnstrom. I like the way he played. But Oliver's a little different. He's definitely more cerebral. He's definitely going to be a player that is more east to west, more slowing pace down than speeding it up. Uh, and definitely somebody who's going to create his offense through uh, manipulation and getting pucks across the goal mount. 69, Ilya Reitroff, another east-to-west playmaker. 70, Connor McLennan. His tool grades really don't match up, even with some of the people in this range. But I just see somebody that seems to keep outproducing and getting more minutes than his tool set relies and really shows. So if I'm taking a flyer late in the draft, I might take one on, on Connor McLennan. 71, Viette Mettinen. 72, Yuso Menenpa. Uh, two two fins. Mettinen's going to St. Cloud next year. I think that's a really good development spot for him. And he could really step up, get some of that strength and defensive uh, acumen he needs in his game. Uh, Menenpa is really short. He's like 5'7". Uh, I'm just taking a flyer on that skill level. Um, and I don't think he's going to be a center, but he plays that way. That's the way he sees the ice, and, and he likes to play behind the play, and uh, I could see that translating on the wing in a limited role. 73, Ian Moore, last defenseman, last skater of the bunch, really. Uh, USHL defenseman, just a long, long-term pick, uh, but he's going to Harvard in two years, so... Like I said, it's a long, long uh, term pick, but he's smart. He's efficient. The tools and the way he plays the game shows me he understands what a top four defenseman in the new era has to be. And Harvard has developed good defensemen lately. So I'm kind of matching that up with the player and seeing somebody worth taking in the third or fourth round. Last but not least, 74th, my favorite goalie, Yuho Markinen. Uh, Uzi Markinen of Oilers fame. This is this is his son. Uh, he's gonna get some decent national time. He's younger. 
He's going to fill out his frame. He's got good rebound control. And the IQ and his skating ability will, will definitely show more when he fills out and he can control some of those rebounds a little more and they're not kind of leaking on him. Some honorable mention goalies, because uh, I did look at some other goalies uh, that I maybe would have ranked, you know, right after here, 75, 76, etc., uh, or, you know, in the 70s or 80s with other skaters had I kept going. Uh, these goalies would be Nick Malik, Drew Comenso. Nick Malik is a greyhound in the OHL. Comenso obviously played for the U.S. development team. Vysilov Shkotnikov. Yeah, I'm not drafting him just on the name, but uh, he's second time through the draft, and he's a bit undersized like Yuzi Saros, but he's competitive, and he's aggressive, and he's got uh, good mobility, and he's very athletic like Yuzi Saros. And the last one, Dylan Garan. He's on the younger side of the draft, June birthday. He's got one of the better glove hands in the draft, but he still struggles on high slots and staying in his crease, which keeps him as an honorable mention. And with that, the rankings are done. Be sure to check out the guide for a little more on my target list, uh, some of the hits and misses over the years, uh, how we would mock out the first round if we were the GM of all the teams, and of course, any of the little tidbits from the player profiles that you didn't hear here. Hear, here. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this. If this helped one person learn a little more about the NHL draft, it was worth all the time, effort, uh, I put into this all year. So thank you again. Here's to your team drafting well. You